It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper? A woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver. I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino at chumbacasino.com. Choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. VGW Void were prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Blog Talk Radio. Good morning and welcome to NJSBA's Blog Talk Radio Show, Conversations on New Jersey Education, a show dedicated to bringing uh, the educational leaders to you and state leaders to you to discuss the educational issues that are important to us. My name is Ray Penny. I'll be your host this morning. Today we will not only be taking your calls on the phone line, but we also have our chat room open if you want to send us a question that way. Uh, to explain that will be Anne-Marie. Yes, I would be happy to, Ray. Uh, to call in, dial 1-347-989-8904. When you are ready to make a comment or ask a question, press 1. That will indicate on my switchboard that you are ready to ask a question. I'll get your name and your question or topic. Also, if you are on the phone line, I will ask you to turn down the volume on your computer and only listen on the phone since there will be a delay and it is confusing. If you are just listening on your computer, we do have a chat room feature that you can log on to. We will be monitoring the chat room and will pass on some of the comments or questions onto our speaker. To log on to the chat room, you will need to register with Blog Talk Radio. Thank you, Anne-Marie. Education reform in New Jersey is most likely a priority issue in New Jersey this year. Governor Christie indicated that it, it was his priority or one of his priorities this year, and legislators in both parties have indicated they are ready to discuss these issues. Though Governor Christie has indicated as in his state of the state uh, speech, we have talked long enough, and now it's time for the action on some of these issues. Uh, we are fortunate this morning to have with us Senator Tom Kane from the 21st Legislative District, which is uh, in Union County. Senator Kane has been in the Senate since 2003, and before that he was uh, in the Assembly for a short stint, and has been a leader of the Republican uh, minority since 2008. In this position, he will work with both the Governor's Office and Senate President Sweeney, as well as the Assembly leaders. Welcome, Senator Kane. Thank you for having me, Ray. Good to be with um, you. It's great to have you. Uh, Senator, um, it was very tragic on the last day of the session. Uh, we lost uh, someone, and I know you work closely with uh, Assemblyman uh, Minority Leader Alex DeCroach. Do you want to just tell uh, our listeners uh, what he meant to the, the legislature? Sure. Alex had been in the legislature over 20 years, and he had, throughout the time, built up relationships with people. And he was really an institution into himself where people loved him, they knew him, most importantly, they, they trusted him, and his word was his bond. And he, he was extraordinarily loyal to, to fellow members of the legislature, but also to his constituents. And he really showed, I think, all of us that you can you know, engage in the disagreements, you can you know, fight for causes, but at the end of the day, you've got an opportunity, whether you're one of 80 or one of 40, to really make a difference, but you can move beyond that and really build up some really positive relationships and find some real solutions, even if you disagree on a big, a big chunk of things. Um, and now, uh, replacing uh, Sen, uh, Assemblyman uh, DeCroach is uh, your running mate, actually, Assemblyman John Bramnick, who uh, I assume you would think would be more than up to the task. 
I, I think he will be. I, I, in fact, I know he will be. Uh, John's been a, a, a dear friend for, for again, well over a decade. And he and Alex were inseparable. He's been a real leader on the clock. He's been a true, true friend to me. And he's, he's an individual who really knows people well, pulls people together. And uh, I really think he'll add you know, just a great deal of uh, real wit, charm, humor, um, and strength to the Republican caucus in a way that I think will be really positive. Yeah, for those the listeners who do not know, uh, Assemblyman Bramnick is actually a, does a is a comedian at times. I mean that literally too. Um, he, he auctions. He, he does <laughs> a lot of auctions, and he for a lot of great charities. And so he's able to uh, not only be a successful attorney, but also use his a his his humor for both in legislative as well as for nonprofit uh, purposes. Um, before we get into what we see happening in the legislature this, this spring, um, or this winter and spring, let's, uh, one of the big accomplishments that I think Senator Sweeney and uh, Governor Christie agreed with when they were on the show is the pension and health benefit reform. Uh, why do you think that was so important and needed to be done? Well, f- first of all, that reform allowed us to keep promises to the hardworking people who are relying on those pension health benefits going forward. If we had not done those types of reforms, we would have had a deficit totaling $120 billion 30 years from now that would have been not only people have been unable to pay 30 years from now, but in the shorter order, we would not have been promises to pay pension health benefits to the people who had worked long and hard and deserved them. So being able to restructure that entire system made a will make and has made the state more affordable for the taxpayers, has made sure that managers in the public sector and, and, and school boards could make sure that there's safety and educational opportunity and and but lower taxes at the exact same time. And I think one of the things you saw from the Star Ledger report was, and was you know, we had one decade where the property taxes went up seventy percent. And just in the last year, we've slowed that rate of increase at 2.4%, and we can do better. So we're giving people, managers, the tools to keep property taxes low, but also to meet the needs and the expectations of their constituents and their students. Um, In line with that, and you and I had a brief conversation before we went on the air, and uh, you you agree with the governor that the time for talk is – what, you know, winding down, and we have to move on some of these issues that you kind of think are important. Uh, tied to that one uh, is the sick pay uh, buyouts at the end. And um, do you think that we can come to an agreement on that one? Because uh, I, I think you feel strongly in it. <laughs> I, feel, I feel very strongly about this. I don't think it makes any sense that people are getting paid for sick days. Sick days are supposed to be used in every context for when you're sick. And for people to bank sick days at a certain rate of pay and then to use them 20-some-odd years later and receive the benefit at the highest rate of pay where people are getting paid out in some instances in hundreds of thousands of dollars makes no sense. It doesn't allow school boards or towns to plan efficiently. It doesn't. It puts a real bad spot. Uh, for the for the taxpayers, puts the taxpayers excuse me in a really bad spot, and it's, it doesn't make any common sense in any way, shape, or form. So being able to change that and say that you should not be able to bank for pay those types of uh, sick leave benefits going forward, to me, just makes a lot of sense. And unfortunately, the Democratic majority has has, has opposed 
some of those common sense reforms. I'm hopeful that we can continue the pressure. And you know the governor was very forceful on pension and benefits. He was very forceful on the 2% property tax cap. He was very forceful on some of his budget priorities. And hopefully he'll be very forceful on the education reform area. So we'll make not only the sick leave payouts a reality, uh, reforms a reality, but also a lot of the educational and fiscal responsibilities that we all share. Mm-hmm. Um, let's talk about some of the education reform because he mentioned some of them in his state of the state, and I assume you're probably pretty much in agreement with them. And then we can talk about where. To, but we still have you. You still have to work with the Democrats uh, on that on those issues. Uh, tenure reform. Uh, I know there's two proposals out there: one from uh, Senator Carrillos and one from Senator Ruiz, who just so happens to actually be the chair of the Senate Ed Committee. So I. That uh, probably gives her a little leg up. Um, do you think there's a chance that you could find a compromise in this area? I think the the great news about tenure reform is that people agree on the foundations. Number one, we need to be fair to teachers and to give them appropriate protections. But tenure, by definition, needs to be that an educator is effective at his or her job year in and year out. And by having a what Colorado or some of the other states are trying to do, which is essentially a rolling tenure system, I think we can have real agreement on some of the solutions. Now, I think the last in, first out issue on tenure reform is going to be a, a crux of debate. But the fact that we are coming around to the same principles, that we need to have reforms in the tenure system, Republicans and Democrats alike, I think is a very good start for the conversation. I know Senator Sweeney did indicate, uh, he was on the show in December, that he thought there would be movement in some type of tenure reform um, this year. And so I, I, I would agree that there it looks like there is some movement there, at least but, from the Senate. I'm not sure about the Assembly. Um, well, I think, we, I think we've seen that uh, frequently, where uh, you know, the governor and, and one of the chambers wants to move in a certain direction. I think sometimes that has an impact on the third entity, which is either the Assembly, the Senate, or in some instances the governor. And I think we can... You know, make sure we've got a system where people can earn tenure, they can maintain it, uh, and, they, and they can lose it if appropriate over time in their careers if they are no longer serving the needs of, of their students and their care. And that's an exciting change, and I think we can be aggressive on it and make it a reality. My goal is to do it this spring. Okay. Uh, we're talking with Senator Tom Kane. If anyone wants to call in, you dial one three four seven nine eight nine eight nine zero four, and just press 1, and that will indicate to our uh, switchboard operator that you, you have a question. Uh, just continue on tenure reform. I know that Senator Ruiz's bill has a clause in there um, that I, I know uh, most school administrators and school board members are, are opposed to, and that is it removes the superintendent and the board of ed from the personnel decision-making process and just leaves it strictly at the school level. Uh, does the Republican Party have a position on that one? or This is not something that people have. Uh, you know, There's no party position mm-hmm. on things like that. I mean, people, when we're looking at something cutting edge, especially tenure reform, uh, you're, you're looking and saying, okay, what makes the best decision? What allows for schools to make sure they've got the best personnel Involved in their in, in their in their school on behalf of both parents, students, and and you know in the community, and making sure that we get the appropriate role of the school board, the appropriate role of the role of the administrators uh, going in the process is one of those areas where 
work to get it right. Um, you mentioned uh, LIFO, last in, first out. Um, I know the School Board Association supports a, a reform in this area. Do you think your Democratic colleagues would agree with uh, the governor on this one? or This is a harder one to compromise on, I guess, because you either have it or you don't. Right, and then, and that's I, – I, this will be, again, as I said earlier, I think one of the most difficult things to tackle because I think I think the changing the life on a way that, again, allows for people to earn tenure, maintain it, and then lose it and make sure that the managers within the system can say, using appropriate safeguards – and say that person is no longer fulfilling their obligations, and there's a person who's been in the system, been in the system, been a teacher for less time, and that person should be, you know, maintain their tenure, and that other person should seek other opportunities. That's going to be a very difficult issue to tackle. I support it. I think we need to change it. I think we need to um, make sure that it's it's that tenure is is earned, that that people keep their jobs because they're doing a good job, and. If we're able to reform life or remove it, I think that's the right direction to go. Uh, and you mentioned earlier, uh, I, I don't think anyone wants to have the arbitrary uh, dismissal of teachers uh, for political reasons, for whatever reason, uh, personal reasons. Um, to do that, I think you have to have a good teacher evaluation model. And I know the governor's office is working on that now. Uh, do you need to have that in place first, or can you do these at the same time? I think we can do them at the same time. I mean, if we're making sure that, for example, what Colorado is trying to do, where they have a rolling tenure system, where you, if you're doing things right two out of three years, then you're on track to keep your job. And I think people understand that, that there are certain years that are, people do better at their job than other years. There are certain experiences people have that, that impact their their lives. And you need, to, you need to protect against the political influence. You need to protect against arbitrary decisions. And I think by having it, a tenure system that lasts over a span of years will protect the teachers and make sure that the inputs are not just tests, but they're uh, pure evaluations. They are um, supervisor evaluations. That there are a variety of factors that lead into the teacher evaluation system really will allow for the best possible System along, you know, in addition to some form of recourse if the teacher feels they are being wronged in this in this regard, I think you can build that system because other states around the country are are building into that. Test scores aren't the only answer, but they're an undeniable part of you know what should be included in this in this reform process. I, I guess the, the move, and it's it's a big philosophical difference, is uh, in the old way they just had someone observe a teacher. Uh, watch the class and write down a, uh, an evaluation. But the movement now is also to look at the, the, any type of data. It doesn't. I, don't, I agree with you. I, I don't think it's necessarily just testing um, to tie the teacher performance to student performance or student, student achievement. Uh, is that okay? You know, I know a lot of teachers are very uncomfortable with that. What would you tell the teacher who is uncomfortable then being judged by student as well, student performance being part of the I was going to say they're not—they're not being judged by students. They're being judged by student achievement. Mm -hmm. And I think anybody who enters the teaching profession wants their students to achieve at the highest levels that are possible. Now, everybody knows that 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 different students will obviously achieve differently. But I—but I know that there, there are tracking ways. 
that we can measure how students are coming into a classroom and how they're performing against their peers and how they are measured coming out of the classroom. And by being able, because the most important thing, I believe, is, you know, for example, having back-to-back bad teachers, mm-hmm. especially in second and third grade, can be the death knell for certain students. And so making sure that we have the best possible teacher of all grades, but measure the students against the cohorts coming into a variety of classrooms, and then against the cohorts. So if they come in at 70% or grade level, for example, and they, they leave at, at you know 80% or grade level, that's, a, that's an improvement. And you can measure it based from how they entered the classroom. And there are multiple ways to do that. But making the exciting focus that I think is happening now in Trenton and obviously around the country, obviously President Obama and uh, Arnie Duncan are pushing this as well, is that for the first time we're actually focusing on conversation on student achievement and not on money. That's mm-hmm. a, you know, The Supreme Court, I would argue, is, is, is years behind on the curve on this one. But for the first time, policymakers are finally saying it's about making sure that these kids are getting the type of education that they deserve. I mean, for me, I personally believe that the, the education system is a great equalizer in our society, making sure that every kid in every zip code has an equal opportunity in the race in life in the state of New Jersey. But if they don't have a public education system that is strong in every single zip code, in every single neighborhood, then those kids are being failed. We've got to make sure that these kids have an equal opportunity. And one of the ways to make sure that that happens is reforming tenure. Another area is obviously school funding formula. I mean, we need to be very aggressive because... Each generation of kid can't afford to wait. Right. Um, in line with this, I know the governor mentioned, and I'd be interested to get your perspective on merit pay. Uh, maybe paying better to teachers if they want to go into a failing school district um, a little bit more. Do you think that has a cross party lines? Do you think both parties could agree on that? Because as you indicated before, in education, sometimes in the reform movement, there are the Democrats and Republicans. Are in line, you know, President Obama and Governor Christie agree on some issues. Well, so what are, Mayor Booker and others. Uh, mm-hmm. I think at the end of the day, I think we work back from the core premise I stated earlier: is how do we improve student achievement, and what tools are necessary to make sure that all every single child is learning, and whether that's merit pay, whether that's uh, tenure reform, whether that's uh, an issue that I've pushed in the past and continue to push the uh, the Opportunity Scholarship Act. We'll whether get to that. <laughs> yeah, I, 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 I'm sure we would. Um, whether it's whatever the mechanism is to measure student performance, student achievement, teacher performance, uh, school board performance, and principal performance, being able to have those metrics and me- measurable is a priority for for every citizen, every taxpayer in the state. Um, we're speaking with Senator Tom Kane. Uh, numbers one three four seven nine eight nine eight nine zero four. And you, when you get there, you press one if you want to ask the senator a question. Um, you brought up the Opportunity Scholarship Act. I wanted to get into school choice issues anyway because I think that's part of the Education Reform Act. Because as you stated earlier, I think you're looking to make it, at least from your perspective, you want to make every zip code uh, a great school district. And I know in your legislative district you have some great schools too. Um, you're one of the 
a big supporter of the Opportunity Scholarship Act. Why do you believe that's so important? Because the Opportunity Scholarship Act would exist only in a small number of districts, would impact over five years probably about up to 40,000 students out of a $1.2 million public school, 1.2 million student public school um, background. And what it would allow for is in those acute situations where the schools are failing the students, meaning that 60% of the students are failing language arts and math assessment in a year or failing or getting 40% of the students are failing both of those assessments over a two-year period. Well, that's an acute situation. That specific school, not the entire school district, but that specific school is failing that student. And if we are supposed to make sure that every student has an equal start, then we need to say there's an acute situation here. How are we going to help that child in that particular situation? OSA, in my opinion, is a great answer for an acute situation to, to help that child say and those that family get to a better performing school. Now, what I had in my original Opportunity Scholarship Act, because one question people have is, well, what do you do for the children left behind? And I, in my original bill, which the uh, unfortunately, the majority party won't allow for, is an innovation fund that would allow for funding to be derived, much like the, the Race to the Top program, to say, how do we reform this school to be in a better position so it better serves its students? That was removed from, from my original proposal. I still think it's an idea that we need to f focus upon. But realistically, Opportunity Scholarship Act is supposed to be a five-year uh, focus and say what it's going to do to help those kids. Because issues like tenure reform, issues like school funding, issues on uh, charters and some of the other areas that the governor has been, has been talking about will make changes in the short term and the long term. But in the course of the next year, two years, three years, there are acute situations that need to be addressed immediately. Um Critics and mostly, you know, I think, in the opposite party, the Democratic Party. Now, I have to. You, uh, there's a Democratic senator who's also a co-sponsor on this uh, bill too. Uh, so this does have some Democrats who support this bill. And from my perspective, watching it, it gets closer every year. But the critics, and I'll admit, in New Jersey School Board Association has one of these uh, criticisms: is um, pu using public funds for private schools. Um, why do you think that is necessary? Well, it, what, what is happening is these students, this is an acute situation. I mean, there are already many instances, for, whether it be on busing and a variety of other uh, circumstances, where uh, public funds are being used in, in different ways that, to help families uh, pursue a multitude of different educational opportunities. But I think what this does is this allows for the tax credit for a donation and then a direct help to help these parents get achievement for their kids. And I think that what we're looking at is the end point, which is how do we get these kids into a better circumstance? Also, how do we create competitive pressure on these individual schools to do better for their children? And I think that if we have that as the public purpose, that this is the right idea at the right time. Um closely aligned but different is charter schools and uh 
charter schools have been around for about 16 years now. Um, but it seems like in the recent uh, year or two, there's been a lot of pushback from the promoting the charter schools in certain districts. Um, uh, what is your view on where you know the governor indicated he wants some focus in, in failing school districts? Uh, what are your thoughts on charter schools? Charter schools are part of the answer. They they've were intended 15 years ago to be uh, centers of, of innovation, centers to, of uh, experimentation, to see what works. They're, they're public schools, to, so see what works, and then maybe it can be brought over to other experiences. I think we're now in a spot where we need to uh, completely reevaluate um, the charter school effort, and I think improve it, make it make it stronger. Um, and but the question that's now coming up is uh, charters have traditionally uh, participated in the uh, in some of these areas that we've talked about in the past where uh, the, the more educational opportunities are, are, are necessary. Uh, they're now more in the in the suburban and, and well-performing school areas, and I think that that's bringing up a, a host of issues that people need to be looking at right now as we, as we look to re- re- reassess the, uh, the charter school movement. I think it's I think it's a important part of the solution overall to the educational achievement of our kids. Uh, I was interested in that you said you, we should reassess, reevaluate the charter school, I guess the law itself. Um, I've I heard that from uh, members of both parties. Do you think that that will occur this year, that we will look at uh, how charter schools are authorized, uh, how they're created, how they're monitored, uh, where they're located? Do you think that's going to be a big discussion this year? Absolutely. Absolutely. I hope it is because I think that and one of the issues that people are talking are concerned about now, obviously, are, are, are boutique charter schools, a variety of other uh, type of entities that are created. And after 15 years, I think we've got a good sense of what works, what doesn't work, what's happening in other states throughout the, the country. Uh, and I think that we need to, again, get to the point of if we're going to get to student achievement, there are a variety of, of entities that will allow for wonderful student achievement. And I think bringing in national experiences, statewide experiences, into this answer and figure out what works, uh, whether it's on a sliding scale, whether it works um, by region, by by institution, what works and and makes the best possible sense. I mean, I think we can multitask. I mean, while we're doing sick leave payout and tenure reform, I think we can focus on OSA and and the budget and and charters. And I mean, that's, that's an exciting part about what's happening in Trenton right now is for 10 years not a great deal happened on education, not a great deal happened on a variety of other subjects. We're now in the exciting spot where my hope is that we're, we're finally getting to the point where we're finding focusing on real solutions. Um, you mentioned the, the term boutique charter schools, which uh, I'm not, I've heard that. Uh, I, I'm not sure who coined it first, but so I don't know who to give credit to that. Uh but in a lot of those communities, uh, I've been at some events, and I they are supporting that the community has a say in that. In because from their feeling, and I want to put words, and you probably know the districts I'm talking about, um, they feel that it's a not a good allocation of the resources, which for them are mostly property taxes. Uh, would you support a community input into the or community vote on a location of a charter school? Well, communities. Do have input, and I think one of the issues when we're focusing on charters going forward is there have been a lot of of charters that have been uh, allotted 
over the years with no way to focus on the students or on the facilities on the way out the door if they fail. And there's been no mechanism by which to transition failing charters. But having um, local input is 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 always important. Um, and having them involved, you know, school boards and others involved early in the process to know what's being uh, applied for in a district is a continued of importance. Um, earlier on, and it, I know the governor mentioned in his uh, state of state, I'll be switching gears a little bit. Um, he may have even looked at the Supreme Court. He uh, apparently does not like the school funding formula or the, the recent court decisions in that area. Um, where do you think we'll be moving with uh, school funding? I, my frustration is that over 20 years, the legislature's not done an extraordinary amount in education reform. The, the administration over the years has not done a great deal on education uh, initiatives. And we seem to have left it for 20 years and more in the hands of the Supreme Court. And especially in the most recent Supreme Court decision, I mean, you can have questions over some of the more recent Abbey B. Burks in general, but the most recent Supreme Court decision where they were going to make you know, budget allocations, act as the legislature, act as the executive branch, and then as the final arbiter uh, as the Supreme Court and do it all in one shop, to me was nonsensical. And I think that what... Uh, the governor's looking for uh, in Supreme Court nominees because there will be two vacancies in March. So we will have a, a, a no matter what, because people are retiring, uh, we'll have a different Supreme Court four or five months from now than the one we currently do. Is, you know, just like Ann Patterson, it says look at the merits of the arguments that get brought before them, but don't think as a Supreme Court that you are the legislature. Don't think as a Supreme Court that you're the executive branch. And getting a Supreme Court that's responsive to uh, their appropriate role is important. All right. We're going to hold our thoughts on the school funding because I have a couple more questions I want to ask. But I do have a, a caller who wants to go back to charter. You have a follow-up question on charter schools, Rochelle? Yeah, I do. Good morning, Ray. How are you? Good. I'd just like to um, get a little bit more clarification, if that would be all right. What was it that finally helped the governor decided that we had to go back and reevaluate charter schools. I mean, what was the trigger that made him realize that it had to be reevaluated? And also, could he be more specific in what type of specific changes maybe the governor may have in mind? Thank you. Okay. I'll put you on hold. You can listen. Oh, great. Thank you. I think the, the conversation on, on charters, you know, we did it 15 years ago, and the governor's only been in office for two years. And reassessing the whole charter movement doesn't isn't a negative and isn't a positive. It's saying how do we reform the entire you know how you uh choose charters, how you monitor charters, how you authorize the charters, how you allow for a charter that's failing to move its students and, and have a forensic research and audit on what they did right and what they did wrong. That's a positive approach towards the authorization of a charter law that is will allow for New Jersey not to be 31st out of 43 schools that, or states that have charters, but allow us to have a, a charter law that is responsive to the current needs of the, uh, of the state. 
I mean, that's how I think the governor and I are, are approaching it. And right now there are a whole host of efforts that that are um, right now being debated by Teresa Ruiz and me and and uh, and the governor to uh, get the best possible input and hopefully have a a, a improved charter law in the uh, next couple months. I, I yeah, from my what I hear, it's both parties look at the charter law. I don't think this is the domain of one party wanting to change the charter law. For example, I guess I'll give you two examples uh, that you might want to look at. One would be a uh, uh, virtual schools, virtual charter schools. Mm-hmm. I don't think that was re- really something that we thought of too much 16 years ago. It wasn't anything uh, that people looked at five years ago. Right. Right. The so, concept of virtual school was, was on a conversation five years ago, much less 15. And I think some of the other things that I've heard from some of those districts, it's a, if the same charter school applies and is rejected year after year, how many years does, do they get? So I, I, I think that's some of the things that I have heard. Well, uh, I, I think what we're looking at now is – I, I think we, for, for, all, for an awful long time, people have approached, whether it's charters or whether it be other issues, on a very piecemeal basis. And I'm not sure that, 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 that piecemeal, this issue, that issue, um, in the, with lacking context to the greater substance of the, of the conversation is all that helpful. And so, so I believe what, what Teresa Ruiz and the governor and I and, and, and commissioner – uh, soon to be full commissioner, sir. Um, <laughs> believe is let's focus on a, a law that is has caught up with the times, can be cutting edge going forward, but is responsive to uh, the needs and the concerns of, of of parents, students, school boards alike, and make sure that we get the best possible educational outcome. And that's going to be a, I think, a systemic reform, and I think that's a good way to go. Um, going back uh, to uh, education funding. Um, I know even members within your own party have oh, oh, probably almost every single member in your your party has had issues with the Supreme Court. Um, how do you um, – what would you like to see if there – and I, I don't want to hold new funding for them. What concepts do you think need to be taken into account? I know uh, – I think Senator Doherty has a bill that's like a per-pupil basis, but uh, is there something that would be distributed differently that is what you would think should be done? I think the answer has to be, you know, again, back to the, I sound a little bit like a broken record, but back to the point of saying it's about achievement. It's about measurable success and having a formula that is uh, is attuned to the real needs of the communities. Right now, there are a lot of schools in the state that are that realistically are being underfunded uh, from, a, from a state perspective. And but get to focus on the entire school funding formula in one that makes it much more responsive to the needs of the students. And, and in that measure, there will be some schools that would get more funding and under a improved school funding formula. There would be some that would be getting less. But it needs to be done, I think, uh, soon because for, the, for far, far too long, I think that the, the Supreme Court reinforced a, uh, a, a, what was a bad law. What was uh, a bad law? If I heard you correctly before, uh, the governor is probably looking for that down the road because uh, when there's a change in the Supreme Court. Well, I think the governor's you know changed school funding law by budget last year. Right. He will probably address it this year in part Due to budget. by budget as well. But I think that people always have to understand they're crafting any budget uh, 
what is constitutional, what is not, what truly meets the needs of the students and the parents alike, and being crafted, whether it's being a school funding formula or any other part of a $28 billion budget, needs to be all part of a, of a of an entire focus. And I think that having a, a court that is, um, I would say, is, does, isn't stuck in the past. Because I think simply from equating dollars with the success is a failed philosophy. And understanding that you can have, um, whether it's a race to talk programs, whether it be uh, you know, teacher tenure reforms, whether it be a variety of other factors that get put into the process that can improve results without additional resources, that's a good focus, and I don't think the Supreme Court understood that, and they certainly didn't understand it in the most recent, most recent decision. Um, we're speaking with Senator Tom Kane. If you want to ask him a question, one three four seven nine eight nine eight nine zero four is number, and you just press one. Um, let's uh, switch gears a little bit. How do you envision working with Senator Sweeney? How's your relationship with the senator? Um, because obviously the Democrats have the majority in the, in the Senate, both the Senate and the Assembly, so this takes some compromise on both sides. Right. How do you envision working with them? I think, as, as Alex uh, showed, Alex Gross, you can you can disagree on certain issues and agree on a whole slew of other issues. Steve and I worked very closely together on the pension and benefits reform, and we, we worked very closely years before on with a handshake because people were raiding the unemployment insurance fund and other funds to use for other purposes. And in the end, that hurt us when a recession came. But years ago, Steve and I came together and put a, on the question on the ballot to change our Constitution to say that people cannot raid funds that are supposed to be used for other purposes, what we call the workers' funds, the unemployment insurance, family leave, and others. And legislators for decades had simply raided and governors alike had raided these funds. And Steve Sweeney and I put a constitutional amendment together years ago to say, let's prevent what is a bad practice. We continued that effort on the property tax cap, on the pension and benefits reform. Um, and hopefully, in this area of tenure reform and, and, and charter school improvements and, and, and on OSA, I hope we'll have continued bipartisan um, success. Um. One other thing, you uh, my, uh, the last term, uh, it was very unusual as uh, the leader of the Senate for the Republican Party that you appointed yourself to the Senate Ed Committee uh, when Senator Bateman uh, left. Why did you uh, appoint yourself and to the committee? Well, well, I may be in the minority. One of the powers of the minority leader is mm -hmm. you get to pick uh, – you can put yourself on, on committees of interest to you. Um, I think it's very important that the leaders of the committees, of, of the chambers, be on a committee because you can get a real measure of how the legislature is moving on certain issues. Mm -hmm. And so I thought even though I was leader, and leaders don't traditionally get on committees, that was important for me to get a better vibe of the legislature, just like any manager, any teacher who a, oversees a, a school or a, a, a department should be in the classroom for a period of time. Uh, even while they're in a leadership function, because I think you can get a real sense of what's moving, what's important, that, and and better sense of the fellow members. In addition, I care passionately about education, and I thought we need to achieve uh, real important changes. And I was able to start to change the course of conversation and make sure we got to the point where it was about achievement, it was about outcomes, it was about 
making sure that we had equal opportunity. And Diane Allen shares that vision. And so we were able, I think, to help start to change the course of conversation into what, what is achievable, what can we get done. And now um, Michael Doherty, who is also passionate about this issue, uh, is now going to take my place on the Education Committee because I'm going to now create a higher education committee. And I think that what I will be doing is bringing that continuum of experience to look at a, whether what people want to call it, a six, you know, K through 16 or K through 20 or whatever you phrase it, is looking at education in the continuum to make sure that when people graduate from high school, that they're either career ready or they're ready for a uh, opportunity to go to an institution of higher learning. And so for me to be able to bring all those facets together was uh, continues to be of importance to me. Um, how, how do you see um, – now, you know, you mentioned earlier uh, your interest in education, and I know I've seen it at many events for both the, the NJEA and local events if your districts are hosting it. Uh, some of the positions that you have taken have probably uh, put you at odds. I, I know they have put you at odds with the – the NJA, which I know you still communicate with regularly, was that an easy vote for you or difficult vote? Some which, of the, which, which made, vote is the that? pension, the pension and the health benefits, or yeah, and, and, and your and position benefits. on tenure, I'm sure, is not going to be well received either. People, again, people can disagree and realize that they're going to agree on other issues. I've worked well with a variety of organizations, including the NJA, and while we disagree on on these subjects, I think there are a variety of other factors in which we can work together. But realistically, you know, my focus is how do you get, you know, I, I personally feel that education is a civil rights issue of our time. And I will do everything in my power to ensure that while I have the opportunity that I will leave um, the education performance uh, of students in the state of New Jersey in a better spot after I leave them before I came in. And the way to do that is, as I see it, a multi-tier approach. Uh, the Opportunity Scholarship Act is one, tenure reform, charters, improvements are another, school funding formula is a third. But if you're able to look at these all as part of a continuum, I think that after Chris Christie's terms, we will have an opportunity, to, and we will look back and say, structurally, just like we did on before we created the 2% cap, and then that led to the pension benefits reform, we can create the better structure that will lead to educational improvement and affordability for all the students, and that's what I see as my purpose. And uh, I guess uh, uh, if you see a civil rights, you're looking at then as a statewide issue, not just your local district. Because I think, as I said earlier, I think your local district has some of the highest achieving districts they do. in the state. Not, not, not one student in my district will ever participate in the Opportunity Scholarship Act. They but it's, it's. But I think that the educational achievement will allow us to be the economic uh, powerhouse that will allow us to compete worldwide. And it's just, the, it's the right thing to do for every single student and every single zip code in the state of New Jersey. But it doesn't mean that more money is the answer. It means that we need to have major institutional reforms that will allow for us to, to turbocharge things in certain areas. Uh, my last question: uh, How do you see the role of the board member in the education reform movement and in educa- public education? Well, I think the, the role of the board member is, is is vital. I think it goes you know, beyond just you know. I think the, obviously the most important thing you can do is you can set a vision for a district. You can set achievement opportunity goals for saying how do you want this school 
these schools, this district overall, to perform uh, going forward. I think the hiring decisions are a very important part of from my superintendent and others are an important role that you currently play because you can make sure that the person who's operationally in charge is able to make decisions, can set goals, can be the right person who's, who's being the tip of the spear, and making sure that you're involved in the, in the bargaining process for contracts. I mean, these are all factors. You are the closest to people to, you know, the, shall we say, the, the, the closest to people in terms of levels essentially of government. And so you are able to have the best and most positive response. And it's very important that, that you are aggressive, uh, focus on needs and improvements, and willing to call legislators, governors, fellow citizens, any and all of the above to make a real and, and positive improvement. All right. Well, we'll be ending on that note. Thank you, Senator Kane. Um, I would like to thank our guest, Senator Tom Kane, for joining me. I think our members, as well as others in the education community, appreciate your willingness to share your thoughts with us. And as always, we'll, you'll have an open invitation to join us. So thank you. Great. Thank you. Okay, uh, to our listeners, our next show is Friday, January 27th. We'll probably have some differences of opinion because our guest will be the executive director of the NJEA, Mr. Vincent Giordano. Uh, and that brings us to the end of another uh, conversation in New Jersey education. Hope that you all enjoyed today's conversation. And as I say, uh, our kids' education is too important not to talk about. Thank you.
Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.